This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. It is the end of one spoiler season and the start of another, probably in like a week or so, because at this point we're just getting hammered with releases. Yeah. So what we're going to do is actually take a look at what is probably one of the most unique sets that they've printed in a long time in Time Spiral, Return to Time Spiral, yeah. uh, RTT, as we'll call it, or RTTS, I guess, because we had Return to Theros. Anyways, yes, we're basically going to be looking at it, doing a dive of what we think about this product, who we think it's for, mm -hmm. and things to be mindful of when you're going after this set financially. Yep. So without further ado... Let's take it away. So it was kind of interesting to think about what they were going to do with this remastered set because this is kind of the first time they've done something akin. They've made a physical version of a Moto product. And yeah. for that, I'll reference things like Tempest Remastered, which basically introduced the Tempest set to Moto. Prior to that set, we didn't really have it on Moto. We had bits and pieces, but not everything. And Gavin even likened Time Spiral Remastered to Tempest Remastered in a number of the videos that uh, he put up. And so we saw the kind of coalescing of the entire Time Spiral block into one set, and that was going to be a draft environment, along with uh, a, uh, a time-shifted sheet like we got in the first Time Spiral set. Uh, numbers are slightly different in regards to the number of cards on the sheet overall based on set size, but essentially the same thing. And so we thought, okay, this will be interesting. It's a supplemental draft set, something to do at the store level. So this is probably in the works for a year or two ahead of COVID. And this is a product they want to get out anyway. This should be interesting as a player base to kind of reintroduce a lot of the time spiral themes and cards back into the environment. Things that were short print run because of the era. And the time spiral sheet will be a nicety. Come to find out, that's kind of the opposite, where now people want to buy into the set for the time-shifted sheet and the other 14 cards in the pack are the nicety. And that kind of breeds the question of what is this product trying to do and who is it for? And so we've been dancing around this for a while in, in, our, in Discord and just trying to take a temperature of, okay, do people expect to be drafting this or buying this to hold or... Uh, buying to crack for singles like what is the expectation that people have and as a vendor this represents kind of a, a unique situation in regards to a product where it might actually be worthwhile to not do what you expect as a vendor and open this product so we want to kind of pull all that apart for you so I think one of the biggest things that we need to do before we get into the nitty gritty is address you know the elephant in the room and time-shifted foils. And thanks, Ben, you're a G. Mr. Blyweiss put out basically the math, almost exactly, yep. is that time-shifted foils appear once in 27 packs, which makes it about 91 boxes to get a full set of time-shifted foils. So by comparison, a normal foil rare is one in every 18 packs. Foil mythic is one in every 144 packs. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at about 60 boxes to get a full Mythic foil set. This is rarer than that, because not only do you have the packs being opened, you also have the collector's packs, the MTGO redemptions, 
prize packs, whatever. And that, There's a million other ways to get for regular sets, set. For a normal yeah. set. Yeah. Yeah. And you still see the value of those cards when they're in a normal set in a normal print run. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. Additionally, there was a tweet that he sent out that was separate from his math thread, which was pretty telling, I thought, uh, that was effectively, you know, normally we put foils up right now, but this set is so tightly allocated and so not just, it's unknown territory. We haven't had a set like this in this print run. We don't know if what kind of restocks we're going to be getting or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they can't guarantee foil numbers. So typically, and this is based on my experience with miniature market, uh, you would need about 10 pallets in order to guarantee your foil numbers. If what Ben is saying is true, and it's not an instance of we want to make sure we're pricing it appropriately, which it very well could be, Mm -hmm. that means that they're probably getting less than 10 pallets of these of this set, which is absurd to think about that they have less than that for cracking based on Star City's tenure in the industry, their influence in the industry. Half of their staff is former Watsi, half of Watsi's staff, not really, but a portion of Watsi's staff is former Star City. There's a lot of intersections going on there. And the fact that they're getting so few that they can't effectively say, hey, we're guaranteeing the number that we're getting. They have to crack all of their packs and count before they put them up. Yep. Uh, these are two like very concerning points that I think should be mentioned before we get too deep into this because, you know, COVID effect production. Mm-hmm. We still haven't. We got one jumpstart restock, and we haven't seen another. Yep. Yeah, haven't seen another. The fact that we're in a year where we're having an insane amount of releases for Magic because Hasbro really is taking a full-on toy approach. And I know they spun Wizards of the Coast to offer whatever, but the executives and everything are still in place. Mm-hmm. It still has the Hasbro business philosophy. Yes. So, just worth mentioning. But For reference, for reference before we move on, how many cases per pallet? Each pallet had, I believe it was 50 cases. Okay, so that would be 500 boxes total. Uh, yeah. For some, for an allocation of ten pounds, just to give people an idea. So. Or uh, 50, yeah, fifty cases, which are six boxes each. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, to to put a lot of this into into perspective, uh, from vendor standpoint, we have a set where the finances are kind of interesting, and there are a lot more questions that you have to ask yourself well ahead of time, knowing that you are not going to get your standard amount of distro, or it's going to be so light that it really will affect pre-orders. And this will affect how you list the product and really what you're going to be doing with it. In the tweets that we brought up from Ben, it looks like Star City will be cracking some amount of this product. But there's a quote that I'll reference later because it's part of my notes anyway. Because as a vendor, this is always something that kind of floats in the back of your mind when you come up to a product that either is extremely limited and might sell better as sealed or a product that is just bonkers once you bust it, essentially. And you have not just your pack cracking math, which tells you, hey, we pre-sold this many copies of this card in this condition, meaning foil or not, so we need to bust as many packs. But there's also the, is this set more valuable busted or sealed? Okay, right? So you have to look at the values of the singles within the packs, not counting the time-shifted sheet. What is the average EV of a pack? The value of the time-shifted sheet the chance to open a specific time-shifted card, foil or not, 
and then the value of the sealed product in retail. And in the first Twitter thread that we brought up uh, from Ben, tucked away at the end of his thread, there's a, uh, a line that reads, let's see, uh, the set is not printed anywhere near to meet demand. Very little of it is going to be opened for singles and it's sold out at the distro level. This tweet uh, was put out two days prior to the other one referenced that mentioned the, um, the foil numbers and how Star City will be uh, stocking their site. And now looking at this, it makes you wonder, is the math really there to say, okay, this is a product that's going to sell better as sealed because the EV of the 14 cards, non-time shifted, are so low because it's all reprints that have effectively bottomed out or will bottom out afterwards that each pack is worth going to be worth more on average sealed, so we rather sell it that way or some mixture. And that's not something that really comes up that often at the individual resale level when you're an individual retailer, you sell on TCG, etc. When you're looking at distro or you have the option to buy boxes of let me run a bunch of math and say, okay, it's better for me to list this sealed than not. And that's very important at the vendor level. And what you're seeing in pre-sales and this math is really going to tell you as a vendor who you think this product is for, the people who want to buy it sealed for whatever reason, or the people who are looking to shop singles because the cards are worthwhile enough. They did show some high-profile reprints to put in the set that aren't just Tarmogoyf, etc. Boy, did they. Well, the main set is still kind of iffy. The time-shifted sheet is straight gas. That's, yeah, it's that's, insane. That's the point I'm trying to get at here is yeah. the main set, the EV on it as a vendor might be so low once you run your numbers based on all these cards already existing in your system because they're all reprints compared to the time-shifted sheet that there might be a way for you to just bust it all and make your money back on the time-shifted cards because, hey, pre-sale for even the cheapest one is more than a pack or just the EV overall doesn't make sense and you're going to be able to make much more on the boxes. And when you break that pack, that price down an average across all packs, that's going to do more for you than trying to bust it for singles like that's the interesting math that a lot of people don't either do because they're single vendors so they don't have to or think about yeah. because hey a vendor's a vendor they're just going to bust product to sell singles not necessarily the case a vendor can get their singles through buy list if they want to be aggressive that way because the resale of these of this product sealed is worth more to them and they'll just up their buy list numbers for you know the thought sees uh time shifted art or whatever they want yeah, that's really big here in regards to the set. We don't see this that often, where you really have to say, maybe it is better to just buy everything we can and sell it sealed. Yeah. I, I think too, it's interesting because as far as who the product's for, in my opinion, you know, it's you want to say whales, like you know, double masters and stuff like that was, but I'm not sure they're going to be cracking it as much because. Like you just said, with with it so like one in ninety one boxes to get that foil thought sees is so unlikely that I can't imagine people and I guess I'm amazed by this every time I go to a GP that people are stupid enough to open a box in hopes that they get that foil thought sees because gamble man you know I, I know it's it's the gambling thing but I. It seems like so much of the value of this set is tied into that one slot and not the 14 bonus slots, at least right now. Yeah. 
obviously some of the reprints like Damnation and stuff are just EDH gold. Yeah. So after the initial dip long term, they may be worth more. Well, long term, you may not have the boxes to crack anymore. They may be removed into people's collections or whatever. But I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that maps out, because I think with so much of the value tied up in that one random slot, the one slot that maybe you get it and maybe you don't, I'm wondering if whales are more likely to hold off on it or if they will be just voraciously consuming this set, trying to get their play set of foil thought seizes just so they can have, you know, old border thought seizes for Delver or whatever yeah. they're playing. And, say, I, you know. and I think this is actually a really good point to talk about this, where there's not just one type of whale. Whale is yeah. just a, a, a name we give to somebody. Who Blanket term. Buy, yeah, exactly. Buy a certain type of the product for whatever reason, because they just have the money. It doesn't matter what yeah. they buy or why. They just have the money to do so. And it, it's, it's interesting to think about because of the avenues with which you can purchase or buy into this game compared to other things like mobile games where it's like, okay, I have one shop, so I just dump money into that. Well, then you're a whale for the game. With Magic, yeah. you can be a whale for sealed product and just eat up as much sealed product as you can. You can be a whale for foils and just buy up. Like, and there's so many ways to do this, and I think kind of diving in a little more into this kind of thing and even the collectible aspect and you say like okay because there's so many ways to enjoy this game means there's so many ways for people to buy into this game financier uh whale casual whatever and this is all on the table is this a product for whales to gap to gobble up sealed i think absolutely especially if they're interested in longer term holds and flips like this is absolutely something somebody's going to gobble up and i also expect some amount of this product to disappear once it's busted into singles and never see the light of day again, provided we do not get the old border treatment and these cards reprinted again somewhere else. Yeah. I, I think that's the most concerning thing about it for me long term is the fact that we had cards on the list that had old border, that had the, yeah, the cranial fighting. awful modern printing on them with the foils like brink of madness or yeah, yeah. you know stuff like that i and you know now we're doing time spiral remastered and they clearly have lost their reticence to print old border yeah. I, at this point we've come full circle we're, we're back to novelty where people want to gobble it up and that's something that i think a lot of people will also hopefully be mindful of is the fact that you know what i these are a little bit more of a reprint risk than you would normally think. Mm. You know, the, these aren't masterpieces. These aren't mythic editions yeah. where it's something that is tied to a specific product that they did for one set and haven't revisited. You know, and sure, we got the box topper fetches and everything, but they were new art, new frame, everything different from the expeditions. And this old border novelty is, you know, it kind of feels like in one hand we're just chasing a dragon here because people are going to eat up the nostalgia. They'll pay whatever money. They'll just buy the product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think in a normal world, that's probably true. But in a world where your production is hampered, your shipping is hampered and everything else by, you know, pandemic. I'm curious to see how this pans out because obviously the set's going to sell. Oh, I, yeah. That's going to happen no matter what. It's just how much of it is actually going to end up in the, the population. Players, yeah. And how much of it is going to be just people that are like, well, this is my investment, you know, my nest egg, you know, uh, yeah. Evan Irwin has that 
picture that he posts periodically that like, here's a case of every set ever that's my nest egg. Maybe I'll draft it one day. Maybe I won't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how, how many people are going to end up, how many boxes will end up in those kinds of collections? How many will end up with some, you know, no-name vendor that just has stacks of old sealed product and how many of it is how much of it is actually going to get out into the population yeah i and i think that oh sorry go ahead I, i'm just going to glom onto that because there's we don't know the success criteria for this set and gavin mentioned that the idea of this set was appealing because it's never been done before on paper and once the set was designed and put through you know the necessary checks and balances to get it out the door and to print they started working on other sets. Like, we're not talking about QA for the product itself, just like, hey, these cards make sense, <laughs> yeah. that QA, right? And okay. they can get the yeah. list to the printer and say, you know, fire up the shitty paper stock, we're doing it again. Uh, they started working on other sets. So with the expectation that really the only success criteria for this is that it sells out, we will see more of this. One of the things that I worried about in regards to this set when we were trying to figure out who this is for is we are already backlogged on draft product. We have not been able to draft the mystery boosters that were sold at the LGS level. We have not been able to draft any of the standard sets in paper that they've released. We have not been able to draft uh, Jumpstart or play Jumpstart as they expected us to. And so kind of piling on more product that's meant to be played and enjoyed at the LGS level before it just kind of disseminates into the player base as a whole just seems a little rough right now if you keep stacking it on eventually it's going to become such a large backlog that one of these products is doomed to fail because we're going to shift focus back onto what we've been sitting on and now you have to work through that backlog and it's like that person that has like a backlog of eight books maybe they'll get through them at some point maybe they'll just keep adding to the end of time who knows but this is not you know a, a unique situation to one player one lgs this is global. These products have been made available globally, and whether or not people are going to be able to get together and draft this set now or in a year after it's been purchased, we just don't, don't know. And the other thing is, until this hits Moto, we really won't know what the draft environment is going to be like. It looks yeah. good because that block was good, and I don't believe this was a block that was that created any kind of weird segmentation, so you drafted Time Spiral, Planar Chaos, and... Future site. future site so people have an idea of what this draft is supposed to be like but if it's actually enjoyable we should see a reprint but we won't know so we don't get a reprint and it just sits in queue do they keep stacking this stuff on after modern horizons 2 do they let the filter flow through so you can actually see what people are interested in get these into the hands of the players or do they just say fuck it whoever buys it buys it because that's all we care about right now let them draft it on Moto or Arena, wherever they decide to put the set eventually, and just run it. And that's kind of fuels the question of, well, who is this really for? Yeah, it's... Especially with the fact that we don't have the draft environment, and this is, you know, obviously, you know, Kaldheim, all of the other sets that have released have been a very, like, this is designed for standard, this is, you know, your bread and butter lgs style the problem is that this is effectively a master set right yeah master sets are designed for eternal pe- eternal players who have bigger pocketbooks mm-hmm. who come in and just 
you know, even your casual players will show up for a modern masters draft and just slam the whole weekend. Doesn't matter what it is. They love it while it lasts and you're not getting that. And there's, you know, this is the first time I can recall seeing a set that was intended to be drafted, printed so short, including any Masters set ever. Yeah. And, you know, you have shops, at least around here, that got, you know, 10 cases of Kaldheim that are getting three cases of Time Spiral. And distros are out, and they're basically told, I, we haven't been told when we're getting restocked. But supposedly it's an imprint product. It's still there, according to everything that's been passed down the grapevine of, you know, Gavin, Marrow, everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, no shame to them. They're just passing the information that they're told to pass along, which may or may not actually be accurate. Yeah. But I think that, you know, for me, this seems like a product that is between your investors and your whale players is the two that I see it as. Okay. And I think that... It's going to be very telling to see what LGSs do because you already have boxes pre-ordering for one hundred and eighty dollars, and they're selling at that. Yep. Yeah. Wholesale is eighty-two dollars still. So that's an insane markup that I've never seen on a currently in-print product, mm. because even the Masters boxes were like one hundred and twenty to one hundred and forty-five wholesale, but you're selling you know an eighty-two dollar box for the same amount, and that is just ridiculous to me. Yeah, I think this product sits somewhere between uh, investors and whales, but I'm uncertain if it's going to be whale collectors or whale players. Players, yeah. I've seen a lot of people show a lot of love for a very small amount of cards within the time-shifted sheet, foil and not. So I do understand that there's going to de- going to be demand for a lot of the like highly playable constructed cards, so, you know, things all the way from uh, Pass and Flames to Gurmag Angler, right? There's a lot in this list yeah. that sees play. Even the Wastes can be played in Eldrazi Tron, and I think there will be players that buy them uh, in foil or not. So I, I don't doubt that, but the ability to buy a product that already has an incredible multiplier in sealed at the retail level, to me, speaks a little more to whale collectors that might want to sit on this longer than some other sets. We've talked about, you know, five years is kind of that time where you can just churn it, but this might age better than a lot of other sets, and this might be the kind of thing where a whale collector might move in a little bit harder than some of the master sets that we've seen previously. And so that's where yeah. I kind of sit. In regards to vendors, I think this is the uh, a set that gets a small bust, but primarily resales as sealed. Yeah. Because I think the EV is there on the time shifted sheet, and it's not like you get hoisted if you pull like min EV from that sheet. But I don't think demand is going to be there for the majority of this set. You know, you you know, as a vendor, you're going to wind up with a lot of immovable cards because it's just the draft bulk with every set but the majority of the set is essentially draft bulk price because the reprint you know commons uh, rares in some cases just uh, you know mythics upshifted for the site uh, for the sake of being mythic that just don't move at the vendor level anyway and that creates a lot of excess and overhead that you might not want when you can just move it all as sealed and essentially be done with the product and then just turn your buy list on for what people are looking for. Yeah. That, that's, you know, so it, 
my thought that's my thoughts uh, on the product as a whole uh, my my thoughts on this have changed over time at first i thought this was going to be a great player product and a draft product because the main set it would be, be better yeah then the, because the main set would be better but the more we saw the time shifted sheets the more i became convinced that people were only going to care about one card out of the pack i so i ultimate question do you think this is a product that's good for the health of Magic financially or bad? Ooh, okay. Um, as a one-off, I think this is fine for Magic financially. Some questions... If there were not production issues, if this got a normal standard print, yep. would you think it was good or bad? I, I, think, it, I think it's good uh, as a product because... And I don't want to touch on all the questions that were raised about, well, you continue to print old border cards, yet you cited an inability to do so, so explain. Yeah. Um, I think that this this product is, is good because I would rather see a remastered set like this once a year instead of a master set every year because we can go back and we can highlight modern era sets that deserve a little more of a spotlight and alleviate some of the financial pressure from yeah. under uh, underprinting based on just timing within the lifespan of the game. You know, if we look at the starting point for the modern format as 8th edition and we and we say okay, you know, moving forward what we what can we look at that's played in uh, modern it's like okay, well, Khan's already took care of the Fetchlands, but everything from Mirrodin block is severely underprinted. Uh, Darksteel had storage issues that basically crushed their ability to, to send the product out because it was destroyed while housed in the warehouse. Um, not much is played from Kamigawa, so who cares? And then you have stuff from Original Wrath Forward that can be deserving of another draft environment because they were great environments, but also, like I said, alleviate a little bit of that financial pressure from these sets and make aspects of the game much more attainable and easily accessible for people on the whole. I like the idea of the remastered sets and paper because they do exactly what they needed to in Moto, which is just introduce product. I yeah. think it, it's fine. As far as the old border thing goes, I'm fine with it in Time Spiral because that speaks to the time-shifted sheet. If they did this for the sake of doing it again, I'm kind of out on that. But if they stick to in this... I don't think any other block had anything as cute as the time-shifted sheet. If they just stuck to the theme of, of the blocks that had something like this that either ran in the main set or in parallel, I'm fine with that too because it again harkens back to that set. It brings you back. It really treats the draft environment of the set now as it was then and it gives the remastered version the same feel that the initial did so yeah i i think this is good as i think it's bad as a one-off i think it is good if they continue to do it because i think then you run into the reserve list problem right where like everyone wants their stuff to be affordable they're sick yeah. of it you know, not being affordable, but they want it to be worth money. Yep. And I think that this obviates a lot of that for the cards that aren't on the reserve list. Mm -hmm. If you just once a year get a reprint set that's like, here's a cool way for us to revisit these draft environments and have a cool set. Great. Cool. Let's yep. do it. Awesome. That, that sounds wonderful. Mm -hmm. Please. I think it's great. Yeah. But I think that 
you know, the old border thing is only concerning because if, you know, either at some point they regained the ability to print that or they never really lost it. Yep. Which is like an issue for faith in the manufacturer, which has a tertiary impact, obviously, on whether or not you can believe in the financial viability of the game, etc. Uh, but blah, blah, blah. that's for another episode. Uh, agreed. Like I said, I, I don't want to touch on that because we don't know where the issue was the first time when they discontinued the old border and they don't yeah. have to tell us and we should not set the expectation that we are owed an answer from Watsi if it was their problem or Carda's problem yeah. or something else. And I, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm yeah. perfectly fine. And like I said, we both agreed on it. Once you're fine you know they don't they don't need to upcycle this set again next year they can move on to something else and yeah i I think the reserveless issue and i'll I'll put that in quotes is interesting here because you look at the modern era of of cards and it's like there's a lot of stuff that has intrinsic value because it's playable and constructed yes but a lot of times because of edh demand and even if you were to do this in short print run sets so you can expect the next version of a remastered set to have the same small print run that this one did then that still lends credence to the fact that your cards are going to be worth money even after this reprint damnation was upshifted from rare to mythic and it regained it gained value after it was reprinted in a modern set so i don't expect the mythic reprint in this set to really dent damnation on the whole it just puts new copies into the market so it stagnates the price for a point in time where people can get in before it disappears and continues to rise in price and i think that's perfectly fine we miss the mark because there's no draft environment here so a lot of it will not be opened for singles immediately so that's kind of hard but i i would expect this to be the exception not the rule if these continue down the road. And I'm excited to see this. I, I I like when they are able to introduce in a very specific way a dearth of cards to the player base that makes sense as, a tr- as opposed to trying to shoehorn together a larger master set to pull from a larger period of time. Um, you know, in a regular master set or A25 or UMA, these really awkward kind of uh, master sets, or just cobbling together EDH lists as best as possible and, and trying to fit some necessary reprints in there. What I expect Urborg Tomb of Yawgmoth to be in an, ED, in an EDH set, at, um, an EDH pre-constructed deck at any point in time, no. What I expect it to be in a master set like it uh, like it should be, yes. In a core set, absolutely. Uh, in this product that we're talking about, no, because it's weird in the draft environment. Yeah. But. Anything else you want to dive into on the topic? Or are you good for picks? No, I think I'm good on the topic for right now. All in all, I think I'm pretty positive on it, so I'm going to just move on. All righty. Right. I yeah. went first last week, yeah. so you go. I'll go this week, and uh, I'll keep it uh, short and sweet on Tribal again this week as, as we revisit. And I touch yet again on uh, Tribal Vampirism. So... This week, I'm looking at Blade of the Blood Chief. It's a card I've been watching for about four months, like an entire quarter, because this is a card that had value, as you saw on the stocks graph, as you look out to 2017 before it crashes, and it's done nothing but gain ever since. It's just been a really slow gain overall. So the card itself, interesting in EDH. You take a look at where it's played, and you see like one major theme and then two smaller themes. So uh, initially what jumps to mind here is basically uh, tribal vampires so that's why I consider this a tribal card but after that you have 
what I'm deeming tribal plus one plus one tokens and control decks. So playability in EDH pretty high overall because of the way the card works. The representation that I'm seeing in the format, as I said, heavily slanted towards uh, Vampire Tribal based on the bonus condition on the card, but there are decks that represent the plus one plus one counter Tribal. Some of them are combo, like Ashling the Pilgrim, which is a little further down on stocks when you take a look at it. Uh, others are synergistic with plus one plus one counters in Grismold and Skullbriar. And then you also see things that are kind of representative of control decks and very high on the list in Massacre Girl. And, you know, Massacre Girl just comes in and can effectively blow up the field, and that pushes the value of Blade of the Bloodchief because Blade of the Bloodchief just carries that creatures left the battlefield. Just kill them. Whenever a creature is put into the graveyard, that's it. That's the condition. Tokens trigger it, creatures trigger it, your, your commander yep. triggers it now, right? Everything. Yep. And, uh, you know, these last two decks, the synergistic style and the control decks, they're looking to make use of this card in a, a longer, more inevitable game. So I believe the card is underserved as a whole within the format based on the possibilities and existing combos or synergies. If you play creatures and kill creatures, uh, this is a card that can and most likely should be in your deck. And if you're able to slap this on something that's indestructible or paired with the Ozolith, uh, and you, you can begin to see that there's a lot more to this card than just the Vampire Claws. It's like Nim Death Mantle. Nim Death Mantle has a zombie clause on it. Like, cool, but the rest of that card is also uber-functional and EDH and really good. So... My timeline on this is about 9 to 12 months, which puts us again around Innistrad Vampires. But in the interim, if people start revisiting cards, as I mentioned, like the Ozolith that synergize incredibly well, I can see this timeline contracting. There aren't a lot of people that play this card uh, uh, that also do uh, commander content, so we're not really getting that kind of push. But the moment somebody's like, okay, I want to play Skullbriar, or I really want to take advantage of the Ozolith in my deck, and I want to make it kind of synergistic a little more, we could see this card show up because it's very powerful in that kind of uh, situation. Now, I don't think we'll see this card reprinted in the new Innistrad set because this references the Blood Chief, and blood, the Blood Chief is tied to Zendikar. The Blood Chief has been referenced in all three Zendikar sets. Uh, you know, various creatures, the Blood Chief, yeah. or the Blood Chief of something, like Blood Chief of Get. Drana was a Blood Chief at one point in time. So I'm fine picking this heading into the Innistrad set. If we do see a reprint in a Commander product slated towards Vampires, my expectation is a limited drop or stagnation like we saw after the Commander, Sedgar, uh, Commander 2017 Edgar Markov reprint, but renewed demand will carry the price in time. So I'll bring up the stocks graph again, and you can see that this dip was basically after the Markov reprint. Markov reprint happened sometime you know, late in... Q3, early Q4 in 2017, and the uh, the market on it just dips as well, but does nothing but rebound over time, because people were reintroduced to this card. And that's where I think the problem lies. So like I said in my first statement, if people start rebuilding and looking for synergies, this card synergizes with the Ozolith, with Skullbriar, Grismold, etc. And if it, this gets eyes with a a bit of commander content will also see a renewed interest so a reprint in a commander set i think actually helps us here because like i said we see that stagnation where supply outweighs demand but again once people kind of hey realize hey this is a card this works in vampires and outside vampires 
let me start looking at this and slotting into other things, we'll continue to see this rise in price over time. I think if someone wanted to do this and they were concerned about reprint, it's worth mentioning that the foil is only like seven bucks. Yep. So if you know it gets reprinted and you see a little bit of a dip, well, there's still more eyes on the card. So all of a sudden you get the dip in stagnation, but the foil is still the only foil printing if we right. get it in a commander product. Yep. So a definitely point. a good like low-hanging foil fruit as well. Yeah, and eventually we'll get paper back and all this tribal stuff that we've talked about is great in a trade binder if you have an EDH yep. base. So very much so. Easy uh, speaking of tribal, I am going with reserveless meme tribal, yep. which has been off and on my thing here. Uh, so there is a wonderful card from the reserve list from the set Mirage. And when I say wonderful, I am being completely sarcastic. This card is awful. It's not real. Well, it's real. It's bad. But if there's one thing we've learned over the last years, it's that you can always count on the reserve list to go up in price. Don't let your dreams be now, dreams. if you look at the price history of, yes, don't let your <laughs> memes be dreams. Ember Wild Caliph. What does it do, you ask? Well, it attacks each turn of Fable. It's a 4-4 four, four for 4 with Flying and Trample. And for each one damage it does, you take a damage. So it's not great. Uh, why this? Well, because the worst trash ever on the reserve list is starting to spike. And this is one of the few cards that had not when I picked it. However... If you look at the price graph, you can see we've been at about 20 cents low, 40 cents market for ever. All of a sudden, in February, you get an uptick when that reserve list hit just happens. And then you see it pick up and peak where around March 4th, so when I picked this card, uh, well, I picked it a few days prior to that, but it hit about a 90 cent low and a $1.50 market, and then it started to dip. So why is that important? Because if you look at a card like Purgatory and look at its stocks graph, you'll see that it also started to dip recently after hitting a high. If you look at a card like, oh, I don't know, my old standby, Mr. Grim Feast, we're starting to see a dip in that again. So what you're seeing here is the cycle of reserveless spikes for not real cards. We're starting to hit the valley. So if you get in now on a card like Ember Wild Caliph, which the reason I picked it specifically is because its floor has never been reset by a previous spike. The way Grim Feast, the way Purgatory, the way cards like that have. Mm -hmm. So this one is at the very cesspool, dregs of reserveless garbage. Never been touched. So now that we're hitting that dip is the time that you want to get in. Because when the next surge happens, which typically is the fall, but we just had one in the spring. When that happens... I fully expect that that card takes off again. Yep. And when that happens is when you sell into it. So timeline-wise, you're looking at sometime in the fall, I would imagine, or early spring. Uh, because that's when you'll see the return. And at this point, you can get them for, I think, TCG for 4X is like 2 or $3. I don't recommend buying now. I recommend buying in the dip because I think we'll get back to about a dollar a piece. And that's when you get in. That said... You can absolutely go to your LGS and look in their binder, and I'm sure they have this card and forgot it existed. Yep. And you can get it for whatever their bulk rare price is. But I just think that this is one of those things that we harp on constantly of, like, you know, the reserve list is cyclical. You need to take advantage of it while you can. 
Well, I think the opportunities to take advantage of chains of Mephistopheles spiking are gone. You're not buying that low and selling high anymore. That's had its floor reset too many times. The price is what it is. Emberwild Caliph marks a very unique opportunity because it hasn't had its floor reset. So you can literally get in at ground level and see where Dogecoin goes. Yep. It's basically what this is. This is Dogecoin of reserve list. Just, yeah, just wait until you slap it on a NASCAR. That's how you know you've made it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm glad that was your reasoning because I had no idea. I was just looking at this and I was yeah. like, what a cesspool card. The best you could hope for is to buy in. And eventually what we're seeing on the reserve list is like these two kind of non-overlapping uh, groups working on the yeah. reserve list where it seems like some somebody's working revised down and somebody's working like Urza block up and Mirage and like Tempest are just not getting any love ju- right now. So you have like the cards that are known obviously are known and are going, but you have these yeah. weird things like Ember Wild Caliph that just haven't gone yet. So there exists that opportunity until people uh, move in. I-, I like the call out of the buy-in point like watching the price until the buying point is right and not encouraging getting in at four because like you said we're seeing cyclical movement and right now this is most likely just the the peak before the valley on something like this and we will eventually start seeing stepwise action on this like we do the rest of the reserve list we're just not there yet so you know earmark this for later check in every now and again and when you're ready to you know take take the dive take the plunge my, my only concern with the dregs of the reserve list and the worst Jazam Jin impression I've ever seen is when you're looking to turn churn stuff like this, like, where do you go? You know, you've got... It's to... a Card Kingdom buy list thing, I think, would be where I'd go, because you're not going to out it to a player ever. That's yeah. just not happening. But you can absolutely out it on their buy list at some point. Yeah. Um, I just outed a bunch of juxtaposed to them for too much money. Because why not? Why not? Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I will. And that's thank you for pointing that out that I didn't mention that. That's this is one million percent. No exception. Absolutely. Positively a buy list out. This is not something you're going to be able to trade out of your binder unless someone is working with what I assume is a, an effort to make the worst deck out of the worst cards ever printed in magic. Uh, but. <laughs> That's Other than it. that, it will be buy lists. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, like, because I, as I mentioned, with the with the collector race, I really don't think you're going to be selling to a lot of collectors until you can find them at, on an individual basis. Yeah. Listing these on TCG Player, eBay, Facebook, you know, the open market, just trying to cast your net to to catch somebody looking for these is probably not going to be the where you want to be immediately. With yeah. This stuff. So. It's, it's a good call, especially when you're effectively, you can effectively be buying it since on the dollar in the valley and just toss it away forever and then, you know. Check it now and then and be like, oh, it's worth money. Thanks. Great. Yeah, I think we picked you know, second chance as a car like that. We looked at with yep. Modern Horizons. It's just, you know, pick it up now, sit on it, check on it every couple of months, and eventually you'll be able to out to buy less because it's a reserveless card. It quote-unquote yeah. combos with Hall of Heliod. There's immediate ability to use this thing. So the sooner you get in, the better. Just remember you have it. Kind of thing. Yep. Just let it uh, marinate. That's the word. 
but yeah. Uh, like I said, I like it, and I think that's it for this week. Unless you want to yell a time spiral remastered some more. No, right. I'm done yelling. No more. Fair enough. So that'll be it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully not talking about time spiral remastered in sets we can't figure out who the demographic is for. But until then, uh, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, Audible, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, and I am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. And we'll see you next week.